1: Hi there and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true stories. I'm Rebecca, one of your hosts tonight.
2: My name is Tatiana. Hi everyone. And I'm Brianna. Hello everyone. My name is Ashley. I'm Christina. Thank you for joining us for the third episode of our seventh season entitled No Can Do.
3: And I'm Sophia. In this episode, two authors find out if having a can-do attitude gets the job done, or not.
4: And my name is Lindsay. Now let's get into our first story of the night. This story is by a new author to the podcast,
1: Jamie Lynn. Jamie Lynn is a student at John Jay College. She majors in English and minors in law. She loves to go on new adventures and is constantly looking for the next thing to do. If she's not traveling, spending time with family and friends is her favorite way to spend her time. She could also be found wandering around New York on a nice day, hitting up all the shopping centers, a bag in one hand and an iced coffee in the other. It's hard to miss the girl who's 5'2 and always has the biggest smile on her face.
3: A warning that this story touches on sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Now let's take a listen to Jamie Lynn's piece entitled The Walk.
5: I am getting undressed. Go shower, Jamie. My mother's loud voice stings my ear. I was gonna do that anyways. It's literally the first thing I do every time I get home from school. I hurry to the bathroom. I want to make sure I'm the first one in before my sister gets home. I take the cloth with my little pony horses on it and squeeze the Dove body wash all over it. As the water is mixed with the vanilla Dove body wash, the vanilla scent raises. The shower head is raining and hitting against my shower cap, making thunder-like noises, which startled me. I must have lost track of time, because now I'm playing Little Mermaid in the shower, my eyes are closed, and I imagine I'm in the deep sea, and it's just me surrounded by water. Bang! 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 bang. bang. Uh Uh-oh! Veep! My mother tells me to hurry up, but in Creole. That Creole brought out the urgency and seriousness. I must have been here too long. I go to shut the water off. The handle is covered with foam and my vanilla scent and the bathroom floor is wet from water that has escaped through the cracks of the shower curtain. I wrap myself with my hot pink towel and face towards the fogged up mirror. In a attempt to clean up, I grab some toilet paper and wipe the glass, but the daintiness of the paper has allowed it to break apart upon the mirror. I give up. I slide into my black leggings in a easy matter, and put on my fitted black t-shirt from Pink. It's basic, but it's cute. It's nice outside today, and I have no homework due. To my surprise, my schedule is clear. It's a Friday, and I have no work today. I guess there's no parties going on. To my surprise, no invite to the movies either. All my assignments for the week are done. I'm actually free. I don't know what to do with myself. I can go on a walk, take an after-school nap, or get started on next week's homework early. I could use some more studying time after I took that exam. If I'm going to be valedictorian, I need to do better. I already slipped up in middle school and had to settle for a second overall high grade because I let my nerves get the best of me during the finals, but not this time. Voodictorian won't cut it. You know what they say, second place just means you're the first to lose. I need to show my mom and sister that I can be the best. I need to show everyone I'm not a loser. Thankfully, I have Rex. Rex is a three-year-old Yorkie. They say he's the original breed, but he's taller than most. He has gray and white, rough fur, and the pointiest ears. Although we both have our flaws, I'm always a winner in his little puppy eyes. He never judges me or tells me what to do. To think, my mom never wanted us to have a dog. She always said, they're too smelly, too dirty. I'll have to clean after it but my rebellious sister brought one home anyways it was our little secret until Rex started barking and we got caught red-handed we begged our little hearts out that night for Rex to stay wow you would leave a dog out in the cold please just one night one night turned into two and that eventually turned into months even my mom started to love him She insisted we couldn't have a dog till she wasn't the one who was going to take care of it. Yet, she still helped feed him and brought him clothes and a bed. Rex was part of the family. After years of begging and seeing my neighbor's friends and family members with a dog, we had our own. Our family felt complete. Even though he was Atusa's dog, most of the time, it was just me and Rex. My sister was always busy working or partying or hanging out with her friends. Yes, I had friends and siblings, but somehow I always felt alone. But not with Rex. I'd come home from school or work, and we'd sit on the couch and watch our favorite show, Dog with the Blogs, until we got tired. He'd watch me cook and wait for his piece. He even followed me to the bathroom and waited inside with me so I would never feel alone. I loved Rex, but my sister always made it clear that technically it was her dog. And when she moves out, she's taking him. But it was never her dog when it was time to feed him. It was never her dog when I ordered endless food and clothes for him on Amazon. It was never her dog when I showered him and brushed him for hours so his hair wouldn't get tingled. All those times, it was our dog. I practically did everything for Rex, but there was one thing I didn't do. Walk him. Because according to Atusa, I was too young, too small, and too immature. I don't know what that had to do with walking a dog, but I was tired of the excuses. He was just as much as my dog as he was hers. She's not even home all the time to walk him that much, and yet I can't do it? It's as if I'm not good enough to walk him. Trustworthy or smart enough. It's like being in second place all over again. But this time, I wasn't even a second option. I'm tired of being number two. And you know what? Today is a nice day. The sun is shining, but not bright enough that you need sunglasses. The wind was swift enough to cool down the sweat that slowly dripped down and slid down my back. Today was the perfect day to walk Rex. But then again, Atusa would be mad if she found out. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe she has a point. You know what? Screw it. I'm taking him. No one has taken him out all day. I can tell he feels sad and deeply in pain from having to hold his bladder. I'll show them, of course I can do it. I'm not some little girl anymore who needed my big sister's help to iron my clothes so I wouldn't get burnt. I didn't need help packing my lunchbox. I didn't need help walking to school. I need to look both ways before crossing. I didn't need help tying my shoelaces. I need the bunny ear method, and I definitely don't need help walking my own dog. I have to go to the store anyways, you know, to restock on some supplies. Mom, I'm going to Family Dollar to buy something. I'm going to walk Rex as well. No, leave it to his dog. She doesn't want anyone to walk him while she's not here. <sighs> I was only going down three blocks, not three miles. I'll be quick, I promise, I said as I grabbed Rex's leash and buckled him up before her indecisiveness returned rex didn't go on a walk today not once you could see the excitement in his tail when he realized that the leash was in my hand he raised down the bottom of the steps before i could even take my first step oh he's so cute that was the second compliment already and rex was loving the attention and being way more hyper than usual i can't lie i was loving the attention as well i was on cloud nine People looked at me and smiled and even stopped to ask me his name. Suddenly, I didn't feel so invisible. I must have forgotten I was walking to the store and not strutting down the runway because suddenly we were already here. I opened the door to the family dollar, and inside is brighter than outside with all of this lighting. There's aisles and aisles of things, nothing of which I need but still wanted. I pick up Rex and hold him in my arm. I don't need a, you know, supposed service animal peeing on aisle six. I go to the beauty aisle. I could use this. Ooh, and this. I pick up two makeup removers and a face mask. An at-home spa day, Mm, sounds relaxing. I go to cash out, still holding Rex in my left hand and my phone in my right. You guys take Apple Pay? I put my phone towards the card slot and it goes through. I take my bag and continue out the rest of my day. I put Rex down. We will soon be home. This wasn't so hard. I don't know why taking him out is such a big deal. I got my supplies and I walked Rex. Sounds like a win-win. Ugh, why did I take the bag with my right hand? This is so uncomfortable. As I go to make the switch to my left and try to transition Rex's leash to my right hand, he tugs forward and is set free. His blue leash is now on the overly dirty ground, laying on top of the ripped up tissue. It's a little windy now, so his gray hair around his face is being blown in the breeze. We lock eyes. No, Rex. I attempt to stop him. But of course, he doesn't listen and starts to take off. I officially look like a crazy person chasing after a dog in the middle of the street. All my yelling isn't getting me anywhere. To him, we're playing a game. The lights turn green and the four-way traffic is about to start. I run to pick up Rex, but he's already face-to-face with a big black Toyota car that eventually runs him over and keeps going. He's no longer running, and it's no longer a game. Everyone seems to stop and is staring at me. A tear drops down my eyes as Rex leaks in the middle of the street. I pick him up. Thankfully, he's still breathing. Someone, call 911, please. Strangers stop by to comfort me as the police come and ask me what happened. I'm too much of a mess to get a full sentence out. We reached the animal hospital, and I'm told they're doing everything they can. Rex didn't make it home that night. I'm left alone with his blue leash in my hand and blood stain on my leggings, making them a reddish-black color now. I just killed my first dog. Oh, my, oh my goodness.
1: Gosh. Oh, my goodness. That was good. Yeah, but goodness, that, that was a sucker punch at the end for sure. Yeah, sure.
0: Good yeah I did not expect um, that. Yeah. Well, that was- thank
1: you so much for being here, J.B. Lynn. We really appreciate you sharing the story with us and for coming in to have this interview with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Of course.
4: All right, so that was such a beautifully written but very heartbreaking story. Um, Melin, you established such a good sense of childhood innocence in this piece, that responsibility-free Friday afternoon, the insistence that you could do everything for sweet Rex that your sister could do, the joy-filled trip to the drugstore to pick up some stuff for spa night. By giving us all these details, you set up the ending the piece could take, uh, the reader by surprise. I mean, when I was reading it, I was thinking, like, what could possibly go wrong? Like, what is going to happen? Like, are you just going to get in trouble or like what's going to happen so i was wondering was this a conscious choice did you set this day up to be so good so that the reader would be surprised as you probably were on that day
5: for sure i feel like even while writing this piece i was just like kind of still in shock like it kind of like went back to like the day it happened cuz like that's the last thing you expect you know what i mean mm. expect yeah. situation so I kind of just wanted you guys to go through the same emotions I was going through to feel calm, to feel excited, and then for everything to happen so fast, the end. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, that
1: definitely hit like a, actually, no, that's a bad thing. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, but
4: I really could relate really, because like I too have a dog and whenever I accidentally like go off a leash, I'm also like, oh no, no, like I have to run after her. I like just hope that she doesn't run away thinking it's a game. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, and from my personal experience writing creative nonfiction, I've noticed
2: that writing a piece can definitely bring out complicated emotions and experiences. Uh, in the story in particular, I thought you captured a tough situation really carefully and thoughtfully. So I commend you for that. I know it wasn't easy to like put yourself back in that place and sit down and tell it to other people. So my question is, what advice would you offer to writers who are struggling to get through telling their own stories, maybe on other nuanced subject matter?
5: Um, I feel like if you're struggling to write a story uh, based on um the emotions that you went through, or if you f- find it hard to kind of like find the right words, I feel like just knowing that um this is coming from a non-judgmental place and just kind of like just... Remembering as much as possible as well, yeah. um trying to kind of like tap in back to those emotions, trying to remember as much as possible, because I know like when people go through a difficult situation, their memory t- tends to block off certain stuff that happened because they want to forget. Mm. So just really remembering as much as possible and knowing that hey, like when I was writing this story, I kind of had to tell myself like, hey, like this happened when you were younger. Like you gotta like forgive yourself, just remember what happened yeah, you're going to always wonder why me, why, what could I have done differently, but it's just everything happens for a reason, and just knowing that when you're writing, it just makes it a lot better. Right, right, right. Yeah,
2: it's beautiful. Yeah, I totally agree.
3: Yeah, and I really like what you're saying about not judging yourself, mm-hmm. because I think, thinking back, Professor Madrazo, to when I took creative nonfiction with you, I remember one of the first things that you were telling us about stories is that we are not perfect Mm -hmm. and that we are not like black and white, that there is a lot of nuance in people in gray areas. And I think writing stories that are true to that is like doing the hard work, but also writing the stories that are real. And I saw that in this piece. So I really like that you're saying. saying Thank
0: you. Yeah, readers don't tend to like to read about someone who's just so perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're like, A, it just seems inorganic or it's also just not interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And uh, looking back, you always have twenty twenty vision. So it's easy to sit down and say, oh, you know, I could have done this, I should have done that, I should have known or I would have or could have and stuff. And um, being able to sit down and kind of just accepting that you didn't know and you couldn't have known back then what you know now is something that's very powerful to see and to experience either when you're writing a piece or even when you're reading a piece, seeing somebody else's problems and situations. Uh, And I really respected that you didn't shy away from writing a vulnerable piece like this. And sometimes putting a story into the world can feel like a release for certain people. So with that said, I'm wondering what the writing process and now the sharing process of the story uh, has been like for you. Has it felt like an emotional cathartic experience? Was it helpful in your healing
5: process? How, how was it for you? Um, it was definitely helpful in my healing process. Um, when I first wrote this story, it was only a few lines. Um, Professor McJasso definitely pushed me to put this story. out first, I was like, "No, I don't want to write this story. I don't." Wanna... I'm gonna have to remember um what has happened. I mean, now I have four dogs, but I feel like even now, when like when I walk my dog, they still make that little joke, like, "Don't let them off the leash," you know. So that's kind of like always, oh, that kind of like stuck with me, like, "Damn, I know, I know it's a joke, but it's like it's never been like a joke deep down to me because I feel so bad about it till this day." right but right. I feel like for sure when I was writing this piece um I had to like I said before to know that hey I was way younger then I obviously know how to take care of a dog way better now of course mm-hmm. <laughs> I have four mm-hmm. dogs now but um for sure just also like learning to forgive myself as I'm writing I kind of felt like writing this was almost like an apology letter to him almost mm-hmm. kind of yeah. so I felt like that's what it was. And just putting the emotion on the paper and just remembering that day. I really had to just sit down with myself and just kind of like tap back into those emotions and knowing how those felt. I also reread messages from my old phone of when everything happened. I texted my mom like, hey, like, yeah, so I'm in the hospital. right now." I just kind of like to get back into those emotions, just really sit down with myself and kind of like remember everything that was going on. And then when I wrote it down on paper, it was just it was all there. kind of just poured out from there. Mm-hmm. And then um, having to share with the class, I felt like I wasn't too afraid to share the story because like, I've let it be known before publicly that what happened with my first dog. But I feel like um I was just kind of like, you know, afraid of what everyone else would kind of say, like, damn, like, you could be first dog, <laughs> you know, but then yeah. I feel like once my classmates read it and they were kind of like, oh, you know, like, understanding and non-judgmental," that kind of like helped me like want to put this story out more up until i'm sharing it with you guys so i really appreciate it That's we fantastic. appreciate
6: you being brave enough to even like share the story i know that this really hits home for you so thank you
3: mm-hmm. and, and especially
4: back on those texts like that could not be easy
3: mm-hmm.
4: i admire you for doing that yes thank and you.
3: hearing you talk we hear how thoughtful you <laughs> are
4: oh thank you
2: <laughs> hi Jamilin. And lastly, um if anything w- what would you like
5: listeners to take away from your story? Um I would like listeners to take away the fact that yes mistakes do happen at any age. Like this could have happened now this was my first dog, could have happened when you're seven, it can happen at any time. You're going to make mistakes and different mistakes all throughout your life. But also knowing to, like I said before, forgive yourself, knowing how to move forward and stuff like that. Because life happens very quickly, like in the story. Like everything happens very quickly. You never know what's going to happen. So just, you know, proceed with caution. And if things don't go your way, still forgive yourself and still try to move forward. I think that's
6: beautiful.
2: That that's a great life lesson for everyone to take away from this episode
1: definitely thank you once again for sharing the story with us and for taking time out of your day to have this interview with us we're really happy to see you and and as this is your first time we will be looking forward to seeing you again soon
5: yes thank you guys I really appreciate it I love all the feedback (laughs) thank you Jamie thank Thank
2: you. you thank you thank you
4: This story is by a new author to the podcast, Gabby.
2: Gabby is a 22-year-old John Jay Sr. in her last semester. She is graduating with a criminal justice bachelor's and a creative writing minor. She's commuted from Connecticut since her freshman year. Over the summer, if she isn't running a roller coaster or crafting a latte, she can be found working towards finishing a novel. She isn't sure what the next chapter will hold for her, but she knows she'll make the best of it. With that, let's take a listen to Gabby's piece entitled Hero Complex.
7: Droplets fly from the water slide and land on my pale, bare legs. I stand in the Connecticut sun about 30 feet above the ground at the top of the big, flush water slide at the amusement park I work at. I've worked here since 2020, every day, all day. All day long I measure hopeful kids' heights, press buttons, check safety, and wait for the time to pass, my own little slice of purgatory. I give a thumbs up to my coworker at the bottom of the slide and press the red button. Hold on tight, I warn my guests as their yellow raft begins its descent off the conveyor belt and into the dark green slide. Once they disappear around the curve into the black part of the slide, I turn to the pile of yellow rafts and load the next one up. The Big Flush is an enclosed green and black water slide on which two riders ride together on a yellow raft. It is colossal and predates the water park by 20 years. The park's website boasts a flashy description of Flush. If whitewater rafting sounds like fun, then you will enjoy a ride on the Big Flush water coaster. Hold on tight as you twist and turn before emerging on the run-out landing. I don't often get to work on the Flush since it's considered a starter ride and I'm out of the starter operator category. When I do get to work up here, I love it. Rides are often far and few between and I'm away from prying eyes where I can read my book or write for the hours without customers. It isn't a particularly warm day, but nine hours in the sun will still burn pale skin. The freezing water is normally a relief, but today, the remains of the chill of Connecticut spring just make my feet cold. My uniform doesn't exactly provide me with any protection from the weather, nor the scrutinizing eyes. A light blue polo shirt and a pair of men's khaki cargo shorts do a great job of accentuating every curve. The curves I try like hell to keep hidden. The love handles. The back rolls and being forced to tuck in the shirt is just the cherry on top of the muffin top. Last summer had kicked my butt, and in going into this summer, I had wanted to make a change. I was fed up with always feeling like I couldn't keep up, and I didn't like being tired all the time. I had done a good job of working out almost every day, but progress was slow, and working again killed any motivation I once had. I looked bad in my uniform, no skirting around it. I look like someone that Lila would take a picture of for her wall of tourists. I've always been self-conscious about my body, at least since fourth grade when some girls were doing the splits in gym class and I couldn't. One girl laughed and said to me, I can do this in jeans and you can't even do it in leggings. I was taller than most of the boys and wider than most of the girls. It's easy to stand out when you're the only ten-year-old who's too big to shop at Justice, so you just end up wearing women's clothes. There's something that sticks with you when you go out to justice with your friends and go straight to the accessories because you just don't know they don't have your size. As much fun as I have at this job, once in a while, I'm all too aware that I'm on full view in this too tight outfit for all the guests to see. On those days, I'm right back to 10 years old, worried about the long stares and blatant disgust. I wonder if they look at me like the kids at my school did, or if I don't even register to them. I think I would like being invisible. It would be better than being the girl that everyone saw first when picking teams for kickball, but avoided eye contact with, as they chose everyone but her, hoping to not be the unlucky team captain who got stuck with the big girl. But one thing is for sure, I'm confident that these guests are safe with me. I know the rules of the ride, and I don't break those rules, ever. Some of my coworkers do. But not me, especially not the height rules. My negligence will never be the reason a child gets hurt. Flush's height rule is that anyone under forty-five inches must be accompanied by an adult. Everyone needs a buddy on Flush. There's three signs posted saying two riders required. I'm sure it has something to do with the weight of the raft and the balance, but I truly couldn't care less. I don't break the rules, so I shouldn't ever have to find out what happens to a single rider. I've always thought that there should be a weight requirement too. Not something to say that you're too heavy. There's already one of those, which is awkward and has probably made some people feel about the same way I would feel in a Justice. But no minimum weight requirement? Height and weight are two very different factors for a ride. My next two riders are skinny little things. The way may more than them combined. I always worry a little bit when something like this happens. The top of the little boy's head is just above the height stick. The rule is, if their head stops the stick, they're tall enough. This little guy passes. The blonde girl behind him, maybe a sister or cousin, is even smaller. She shuffles to the height stick after her brother and I twirl it to touch her head. It goes over her hairline but stops just at the top of her head. I give it another whirl just to make sure before putting my height stick back in its holder. She's tall enough. The kids follow me to their raft. Buddy, I direct my voice at the little boy. You're going to sit back there. Careful, because it's slippery. He grabs my arm as he climbs in. The little girl stops next to the platform the raft sits on. I offer her my hand, and she takes it with both of hers. She sits crisscross in front of the boy. I pat the handles. Each raft has two sets of handles for riders to hold, and it isn't optional. You have to hold them. There is no seatbelt. The last thing you'd want if your raft flipped was to be locked in with a seatbelt. Hold tight, I instruct as I cross to the other side to stand at my control panel. I give a thumbs up to my co-worker, the Swedish freshly 16-year-old girl you've ever met, Brianna. It's her first day on the job, any job. Until 18, you can only work the second position of rides. Flush 2 wasn't a hard job. You just move the raft from the slide to the belt that brings them back to the top, and then you give Flush One the thumbs up when it's all clear. She returns my thumbs up, and I press the button. The raft begins to move, and I repeat my warning about holding onto the handles. After their raft disappears into the black, I turn back to the kids in line, a pair of soaking wet boys shaking with adrenaline and cold. You got up here fast, I say to these repeat customers. The climb up is long, and the 60 concrete steps are hard on the feet. I haven't counted myself, but a little girl who had been up about 10 times in a row told me. I don't really care enough to count for myself, so I believe her. However many steps there really are, it is a hard walk back up, and yet these kids scale it like it's nothing. Not me. When I do the walk, I'm out of breath by the first of the three platforms and need a break at the top. I huff and puff and always think, fuck it next time i'm riding the raft conveyor belt up here the boy in the front of the line still breathless from the climb grabs my arm and points behind me the urgency in his grabbing tells me that something is very wrong when you're on a platform 30 feet in the air the last thing you want is for something to have appeared behind you that wasn't there before my mind goes blank in that flash of a moment but for a second I wonder if one of the raccoons that lived on Flush at night had made their way back up the raft conveyor boat. I would have preferred the raccoon. I look to where the boy is pointing. Down the slide, I see the little boy I just sent. He's... He's still there. He's climbing back to the top of the slide. He looks just about as shocked as I am. We make eye contact. Water crashes over him as he climbs up the slide. There's a look of terror on his face. He should be halfway down the slide by now. If he's climbing out, where's his sister? She's too little to be in there alone. What's going on? Did the raft flip? Did he just fall out? Where is his sister? Stay, is all I managed to tell the kids in line as I ran back to the mouth of the slide. I grab the back of the boy's blue swim shirt and pull him onto the platform. Easy enough. Okay. Everything is fine, I try to tell myself. But I look back down the slide, and from where I'm standing, the little girl's blonde hair peeks from around the corner of the darkness. Please don't make me do this. What happens if a raft flips? Someone had asked our manager, Veronica, as she trained us on the ride last summer. Just tell them to sit on their butt and slide down, she'd replied. Maybe if it had been the older boys waiting in my line, I would have told them to just get on their butts and slide down. But this little girl is in no mood to listen to me. Her breathless sobs tell me everything I need to know. She is going to thrash and struggle until she hurts herself. She's stuck, and I know that she could knock herself out, or be drowned in the current, or break an arm, or or anything. After working this job for a while, you realize that kids really will make any situation worse if they can. A little girl once slipped and got her legs stuck in the crack between the pirate ship and its platform. She'd thrashed and I'd never seen that much blood in person. I lean over the fence where Brianna can see me. I wave my arms and try to get her attention. SHUT THE WATER! I scream into the walkie-talkie. The flush walkie-talkies are on a closed channel and only connect to each other, or they would if Brianna had turned hers on this morning. She can't hear me. I yell out as loudly as I can down to her, Shut the water! I yell it again, as Brianna, who finally looks up at me, just frantically searches for what to do. She's too new. She doesn't know which button or valve to use. The main office is only a few yards from the base of Flush, and if our manager is at his desk, he can see her. All she needs to do is get George, but I guess that's too much to expect from a 16-year-old. I quickly realize I'm on my own. What do I do? The water is gushing faster and faster. The sound seems deafening as the little girl's matted hair streams into her face. I'm sure she's crying under all that water. I'd be. I don't even know how she hasn't been swept away. Maybe it's that adrenaline's strength or her hands are sticky from ice cream or... It doesn't matter. Her mouth opened in a silent scream. Fills with water she keeps having to spit out. If I tell her to slide down, she may get hurt. Maybe she'll be fine. I can yell instructions, but can I expect her to follow them? She looks about five or six years old. If I go down there and grab her, I can walk her out. Flush is big enough for someone to walk while crouched. Like when you'd run up the slides at recess. Or maybe I can slide down with her. It's really not my job to throw myself into a ride to pull a kid out. And I could make it worse. What if I knock her down? What if her parents blame me? What if Big George gets mad at me? But I'd want someone to do it for me or my kid. But even if I do go down there, I don't know if I can get her back to the top. I know I can get her to the bottom, but do I really want to fight the pitch black slide with a thrashing kid? What if she makes me hit my head and I drown and she goes down with me? Can I even pick this kid up with the current? Maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I'll never be strong enough to help anyone. Maybe I'm just a fat girl working a summer job. Maybe I'm just the overweight little girl watching her friend pick everyone else for their kickball team before her. Maybe I'm just the chubby kid on the middle school bus getting oinked at by the 8th graders. Maybe she'll be okay. There's really only one place she can go. Down and out. She just has to do this herself. But she could get hurt. She could hit her head or swallow too much water. Maybe I've wasted too much time already. It's probably too late to help anyway. If she gets hurt, it's all my fault though. I can't do this. I can't even help myself in situations like these. How could I help her? I can't. I can't go in there and lose my balance in the gushing water while holding this little girl. I'll just make things worse. But then again, I am also the little girl that pushed that oinking 8th grade boy to the ground when he turned his bullying to my friend. I'm the same little girl who, despite getting picked last, kicked a home run. I'm big, but I'm no coward. Maybe it's some maternal instinct. Maybe it's the desire to recreate the scene in Captain America The First Avenger, where Steve Roger almost jumps into the river to save a kid. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, I can't stop my legs from launching me into the water slide to join this little girl in the dark. I feel my shorts soaking wet, clinging to me from the cold water as I grab the sides of the slide to try and slow myself down. I have to fight this gushing water from pushing me straight into the little girl. But the water is so fast. It's so strong. I can't. Now you've done it. My feet against the side of the slide, and my hands stretched at the top. I manage to stop myself just before I get to her. Knocking her over is literally the worst thing I can do right now. I balance myself right before I knock into her. Luckily, flush is big enough for an adult to walk through. I slowly raise to my feet and steady myself against the water crashing against my ankles. I balance carefully as the little girl looks at me coming towards her. She reaches for me with one hand. Her face is red and puffy. There's a good chance she's never felt fear like this. I just wish she knew she wasn't in danger. She is the danger. It's a slide, kid. Don't fight it. Just slide. I use one dry hand to hold myself up and the other to pull the girl into a hold. She wraps her arms and legs around me like a little possum. She's safe. And we're stuck. Every home workout I'd done in the last few months and every salad I'd had for lunch fought hard for me this one time. Finally getting fed up with my weight had come at the perfect time because if I'd waited to start working out, I may not have been able to hold this kid and myself upright against this water. I couldn't believe I could even do it. I've never been athletic, but I'm in the best shape of my life right now and with this kid depending on me, I could lift a car. I don't know how. But I manage to flip us over and begin to climb back towards the top of the slide. Water still shoots from the jet. It hits both of us in the face, but every second I manage to get closer to the edge of the slide. While pulling us out of the slide, my little passenger decides that it's everyone for themselves and uses my shoulder to give herself a boost out of the slide. Thanks kid. I don't even get the chance to make sure she's safe before my face hits the slide and I begin to slide back down. The water pushes me back into the black part of the slide before I can regain stability. Soaked and completely out of breath, I know there's no way I can pull myself to the top now. I take my own advice and start to push myself towards the bottom of the slide. It is a bit hard to know what's up and what's down when you're in a pitch black slide, but I trust my gut and the flow of the water. I make good time before my feet hit the kid's abandoned raft. Even still. These rafts are made to go down the slide, so it's pretty easy to push it with me. Until the water shuts off. Brianna must have found the button. With no water to help the raft, it seems heavier than ever before, and the pushes don't get nearly as far. I feel helpless. As reality begins to crash around me, so do the walls of the slide, wherever they are. The inside of Flush is pitch black. It's darker than when I'd stay at my grandparents' house in the woods and they'd forget a nightlight. I'm not going to pretend I'm not afraid of the dark. I think everyone is a bit scared of not being able to see what's going on around them. What I will say is that I didn't think I was afraid of small spaces. What have I gotten myself into? Let me out. I don't want to be stuck. I never thought I was claustrophobic until now, sitting in a pitch black slide with no idea how far to go until I see sunlight again. In the darkness, I know one thing. I will be okay. I tell myself that, out loud, as I kick the raft and push myself. I kick the raft and push myself. I can't breathe. I'm getting lightheaded as I barely fight off a panic attack. I'm crying and trying to scream. All I can say is, I'm going to be okay. I can barely breathe. When I was in the third grade, I fell off the monkey bars and knocked the wind out of myself. My after-school teacher rubbed my back as I tried to catch my breath. He gave me the scientific answer for why that happens, and somehow it helped. It probably just distracted me enough to allow me to breathe. Whatever magic he worked, I vowed to never let myself get the wind knocked out of me again. But being unable to breathe became a big fear of mine. It was right up there with the dark. I know I must be getting close to the bottom. Finally, the sun peers around a corner. I crawl out of the slide, and any anger I harbored towards Brianna disappears, replaced by embarrassment, knowing that she could definitely hear me crying from in there. I manage one command. Go get George! George! I walk back to those 60 concrete stairs leading to the top of the slide. My feelings aside, I still left terrified kids at the top. I barely get to the first of the three platforms when the little boy and the little girl pass me on their way down. A man I assume is their father has them both by the arm and gives me a look that could kill. Walking. They're walking. They're okay. I did it. I get to the top of the platform and disperse the remaining customers. Some people just can't read the room. I untuck my soaked shirt from my shorts and breathe a sigh of relief. Things are becoming more clear. The world is slowing down again. I sit on the ground. This is a new feeling. Accomplished? Heroic? Capable? Hypothermia? Whatever it is, it feels good. Like kicking a home run and kickball.
2: Wow. (laughs) Wow.
3: So beautiful. So beautiful, Gabby. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you for having me.
3: Yeah. So we're so excited to get into it with you tonight. Uh, Talk about all the twists and turns in the story because you had us all on the edge of our seats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Gabby, one of my personal favorite things about uh, creative nonfiction is just getting to know a writer through their voice. And I think I might have a little bias because we have had class together before, but I really appreciate that your stories are always honest, always vulnerable, and both of those things make pieces like yours some of my favorite ones to read. So with that, I want to talk about a tool you used in the story, which was humor, And describing your job as your own little slice of purgatory, or wondering if the good feeling you have at the end of the whole situation was accomplishment or hypothermia, just both so well done. And something I was wondering is whether that honest, humorous voice is your inner monologue. So like what it sounds like in your head when you're reflecting on a situation like this. Or if this is something that you tried to be really intentional with in this particular piece, because the subject matter was so tense.
7: I think my, I think it definitely is my little inner voice. I try and always bring humor to everything. And this story was one that was told as like a joke at my job. So (laughs) I've always kind of looked back on it with a lot of humor Mm -hmm. because if you don't laugh about it you'll cry about it
1: (laughs) well it was really well done it came across really well in the sense of like yeah it is a very serious situation like you think there's like there's a certain part of your piece where you you I believe you wrote about like how if her hand got caught or something and that's very tense um but you were still able to kind of like undercut it with a little bit of humor without making it seem like you were you were downplaying the seriousness of it Mm -hmm. so that was very well done
3: it's a very delicate balance to capture
2: i almost didn't know if you were joking i thought i was just sick and and thought what you were doing was funny and (laughs) like being humorous but uh, i'm glad we have the same sense of humor because i definitely don't want to downplay what that poor girl went through but um gabby staying in the realm of technical choices i was really impressed by your ability to build suspense after the raft flipped and you saw the trap girl and described her screaming and the way the water was filling her mouth, it, it was visceral. Like, it was, it was scary. I felt like I was there. Um, and at certain points, I was genuinely nervous that things were going to take a turn for the words. I almost didn't want to keep reading. So I was so scared of what was going to happen. Uh, but do you think you could walk us through the process of writing the piece with all those little details? Uh, I'm curious if this was a workshop. Uh, first draft or um, if slowing down that moment so much was a conscious choice by you as the writer
7: this started as a a workshop and I think the reason that I was able to slow it down so much was because when something really scary happens it often feels like the world kind of slows down around you Mm -hmm. and so I was able to to take in these small details about the moment because you don't have long before you have to make a choice Mm -hmm. and so it's really it's I don't want to say do or die but it's do or die so you take in all these moments and I wanted to I wanted readers to feel how I felt
6: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I couldn't get enough of your story I think I think I started to read the line so fast because I just wanted to see what would happen next. I was like, did she save her? Did she not? Yeah. What happened? That like this is I love the suspense throughout the whole entire story. Um, what makes this story so special is the payoff at the end of using your body in this heroic way from the build up you create by the beginning of the piece, expressing the discomfort in your body that this job makes you feel. You talk about exactly how deep it how deep the discomfort goes by saying there's something that sticks with you when you go to the justice with your friends and go straight to the accessories because you know that they just won't have your size that line is so saddening you continue by saying as much fun as i have at this job once in a while i'm all too aware that i'm on full view in this too tight outfit for all the guests to see how do you reflect on what your body was able to go through during this rescue, where the intention where the attention was undoubtedly on you, what was the writing of this correct and anyway?
7: I think writing this piece really made me bring up a lot of these insecurities that I didn't want to, but it, it was almost cathartic because I got to look back and say like, yeah, like I, I am so insecure about all these things, but look what I did mm-hmm. despite all of those insecurities. Right. Yeah,
3: that's
6: amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Gabby, um, I don't know if you remember, but the first draft, I mean, this went through at least, uh, how many drafts before a workshop?
7: Six or seven.
0: Six or oh, seven drafts before. Six workshop.
7: or seven that I sent you alone.
0: Right. <laughs> okay. and, but you went through some on your own, but it, um, I remember the first couple drafts had nothing about you at all. It was just plot. It was like, this happened on this water slide, right? It, and the, the character is the thing you actually... Like, you know, those vulnerabilities and the insecurities, those are the the things that you really work to add. The plot was there from the beginning, Mm -hmm. but all seven drafts built all that stuff that everybody here tonight is talking about. Wow.
3: And you know what? The backstory with all the school stories, like the stories on the bus and the stories on the playground, those are the parts that after I read it, they stuck in my head for sure. Yeah. So I'm really, really glad you went back in and added them. They're beautiful.
0: Yeah. One of the things we like to say, um, and this could go for any class, fiction, nonfiction, you know, whatever. It's like the story is about X, but it's really about Y. So mm-hmm. it's like the story is about a water slide save, but it's really about someone realizing they can do blank, 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 mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and the best stories, we we need we need that second layer. It's about blank, but it's really about blank. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah um I would love to mention like your story of really stood out to me because, as mentioned before, you tap into your physical insecurities, and I feel like that's so amazing because you showed how truthful you are and like genuine throughout your peace. like you most definitely demonstrated courage and strength because um I know like not a lot of us can even write about our insecurities. It's like really hard, so I <laughs> applaud you for that like. That's why, honestly, I really loved your story. And um, lastly, what, if anything, would you like listeners to take away from this story?
7: I would like listeners to take away the fact that even though you think you can't do something, you probably can. You're probably not giving yourself as much credit as you deserve. Because we're our own worst critics. And sometimes you just got to take the plunge.
2: Yes, Which I agree.
3: You Wonderful. is so apt for this story. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for coming on, for having this interview with us and for sharing your story with us. As this is your first time, we do hope to see you again, yes. um, hopefully sometime in the future. But as for this piece, thank you so, so, so much. It was such a pleasure to read.
7: Thank you for having me. Of
1: course.
6: Well, that concludes our third episode of our seventh season. We're so excited to bring you new stories soon, amplifying these voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from.
2: You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook if you want to get behind-the-scenes content.
4: We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, as well as our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the
2: scenes here at Life Out Loud.
3: And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you.
1: A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon, and good night. Good night. Good night. night. night.